Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. conversation that I had uh, in early 2017 with my publisher about what letters we were going to include um, in what was then a growing list um, of, of ways of describing the nation's sexual revolutionaries. So um, we had to address, uh, we wanted to address, I mean, the book is Speak the Truth, How to Bring God Back into Every Conversation. And obviously one of those conversations is about um, sexuality and identity and marriage and family. And so uh, I was pushing for LGBTQ to be the acronym that we used in describing these sexual revolutionaries of the day and their agenda and all of these things in order to help Christian readers understand those categories and what people were um, were, were desiring. Well, um, my publisher said, hey, people understand the L and the G, but um, you're going to have to explain the B. And so I shared with them about a woman who is a pastor. She identifies as bisexual. She denies the patriarchal constraints of monogamous marriage. Um, and I could not have predicted that a mere three years later, this being 2020, uh, polyamorous relationships, polyamorous marriage would be affirmed in at least one American city. Like, right? I couldn't have anticipated that. But that's where the B comes in. Right. The B comes uh, the, the B in LGBTQ brings into the conversation the P polyamory, polyamorous relationships, um, because a person who identifies as bisexual is not genuinely satisfied with one partner, which means they require some sort of polyamorous arrangement. All right. The conversation then moved to the T. I think the T conversation is one that we have fairly frequently. We talk about trans people who identify as transgender. We talk about the challenges related to that. Um, in advocating for the inclusion of the T in the LGBTQ acronym in the book, um, I told them the story of Katie. Now, I knew Katie as Katie before Katie became Alex. Alex is now a fully transitioned man, married to a woman, uh, again, uh, ordained as a member of the clergy, publicly recognized, quoted frequently as a man. I actually think that evangelicals who um, refer now to Alex McNeil and quote him do not know that Alex uh, is a person with two X chromosomes. Um, and so uh, when when we talk about the T, we are talking about uh, a stage of the conversation where we now relate to people in the culture, people in positions of ministry leadership, who are fully transitioned from their biological sex, presenting themselves as a different gender. Um, and that's when we arrived in the conversation. Again, this is just 2017. We arrived at the conversation about the letter Q. I recall receiving a lot of resistance to the inclusion of the Q. Uh, what value is there in adding that confusion? I was asked and I answered. Um, uh, oh, I was also asked, um, doesn't Q in the LGBTQ 
um, you know, isn't that offensive? Isn't it offensive to use the, the term queer? And I said, well, that's how uh, a growing number of people self-identify. And that's when I told them the story about John. John is a tall, handsome Texan, also an ordained minister. He does not identify as gay. He does not identify as bi. He does not identify as trans. He identifies as gender fluid and queer. His word, not mine. He doesn't want to be constrained by labels. And yet uh, he is probably asked more often than anyone else to explain his preferred identity, queer. Because every time you see John, you must ask what his preferred pronouns are on that day. Now, that is complicated and it is burdensome, but it's fair to say that's part of the point. So the reason that I bring all of this up today is because if I were writing Speak the Truth today, just three years later, I would have to address the letter P. We talked two weeks ago with Peter Kapsner about a city in Massachusetts which has indicated their affirmation of polyamorous relationships via their city code. Today, we are looking at a development in so-called reproductive technologies that will allow for multiple people, absent a person of the opposite sex, if that's what they prefer, to parent, polyparent children. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me again for an upside-down conversation is Dr. Peter Kapsner. Welcome back, my friend. Uh, thanks so much, Carmen. And yeah, that this is as upside-down as it gets on this one, isn't it? All right. So you and I are going to uh, talk today from a piece that's posted at the New York Times, but it's actually an excerpt from a forthcoming book. The book is Work, Mate, Marry, Work, Mate, Marry Love, How Machines Shape Our Human Destiny. So that gives us a little... A little indication of where we're headed here. This is the author is a professor, a senior associate dean at Harvard Business School. She's also the former president of Barnard College. So no slouch. Um, Deborah uh, Spar is making the case here that we are on the cusp of a technological revolution in baby making, as she describes it. Um, it's also going to result in the remaking of the American family. Tell us about poly parenting. Yeah, this is right on the cusp is exactly right, Carmen. And, and I think you you laid it out so well in the opening segment and the idea that, that what I heard in the theme of what you were talking about, about people identifying with different letters, is that people want the ability to throw off what they perceive to be constraints on their life so that they can do and be whatever it is that they determine that they want to do and be. And increasingly, technology is empowering people to do that. So again, and I'm going to say perceived constraints uh, that they want to throw off so that they can realize their own destiny. And and so what's happening here is the technology is coming that uh, a person could uh, have a baby it, different than in vitro fertilization technology in, in which you're, you're still taking typically a single uh, egg and a single sperm or, or several of them. And you're creating a child from a, from a parent 
uh, two parents outside of the womb. In this case, you actually are able to take genetic material from multiple parents. Uh, you actually even can sort of splice some of the uh, stem cells of an individual parent and begin to create children through a whole variety of different mechanisms and means. And uh, and so w the implication of that, and, and I, I'm a little troubled even just by the, the favorability of the New York Times and the author towards this means of technology, is it says that uh, each case of this kind of assisted reproduction where from a wide variety of ways you can begin to create children, a child is born to parents who could not have otherwise conceived them. Taken together, the impact is wide and profound because we no longer need the traditional family structure to create children. Our need for that traditional family is likely to fade as well. And so without getting into all of the science of how all of this is possible, they have managed to reproduce mice in this method. And, and that is a, it's a huge jump, obviously, from anything that happens in mice to human beings. But there has been enough precedent in the past that what has worked reproductively with mice does then uh, translate to the human being. And so it, it does seem that this sort of technology is coming in which a child can have multiple parents uh, as part of its conception, kind of splicing a gene from here, maybe taking an egg from there, uh, using some sperm from, from this person. You could have three, four, five people involved in the creation of a child completely outside the womb. All right. I want to read a couple of quotes from the piece um, as a setup for the remainder of our conversation. One of the things I was struck by um, is her willingness to discuss the reality uh, at how this so thoroughly sets aside the biblical understanding of men and yeah. women, of marriage, of the family, of the way uh, society is constructed, and how she refers to that in one place in fairy tale terms once upon a time. All right, so from, here's a few quotes from the article. For most of human history, families across the rest Western world were defined by largely biblical terms. One man, one woman with children conceived through sex and sanctified by marriage. Everyone else was just a bastard. Um, she goes mm. on later to say, um, because once uh, once we no longer need the traditional family structure to create children, our need for that traditional family is likely to fade as well. And here's where she then characterizes uh, the defenders of heter heterosexual marriage as those who are defending this sort of fairy tale of once upon a time. Uh, she says, um, two men can make a baby. Four sexually unconnected housemates could make a baby. Uh, that changes everything that we've known about sex and babies and marriage. Uh, and then she says, once we start imagining and then living in a world of fluid parenting, it becomes increasingly likely that we will also undo or at least revise our centuries-old conviction that, pro that procreative unions, like Noah's animals, only come in pairs. Hmm. She, her willingness to just <clears throat> go there, take... Yeah, right, to go there, to say, yep. hey, these are archaic ideas. Yeah, they're biblical, but we're past that. Right. Actually stunning. And and I think uh, as we get into maybe advocating for why it is important that the nuclear family exists in the place for, for children to be raised, uh, that she's assuming that that's an old-fashioned, archaic sort of view, that where we're headed actually is going to be better for the human race in general. And boy, that's going to be fraught with peril. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Peter Kapsner and I have to take a very brief, brief break, but we'll be right back. And I know you don't want to miss it. In the Oh, my 
goodness, Paul Perot, what is that? You never heard that before? Well, no, I mean, I have, but, you know, you actually bring cultural relevance to the conversation. <laughs> what is that? In the year 2525. And it goes every... 2525. Yes. We, we have gotten there... Uh, A little ahead of it, because that was the year 6565. Years. No, no, that's the year 6565, so, you know, do the math. It's... <laughs> What? That was supposed to be the year 6565? Yeah, well... That all of that was true? Yeah. Okay, well, we have arrived... We've arrived there, yes. We're accelerating the curve for sure, yes, indeed. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay, Uh, Peter Kapsner, um, I have just one more thing on this topic, and that is, how does this happen? How do we we move from um, something that would be, have been considered not just technologically impossible, but morally wrong? How do we move from... Um, Because here's her walk-off. Let me read the walk-off of this piece. Over a remarkably short period of time, we have grown accustomed to those nice parents in our neighborhood being a couple of men or a couple of women or a single of of any sex. We will get used to them being a threesome or a foursome as well. And then we'll see the new normal as simply the real. And we'll forget that it was technology that changed this world. Gosh. Uh, so is, so she's saying technology yeah. is the, you know, she's she's saying that it's technology, but you can't you can't place all all moral change at the feet of technology because people make technology. That's exactly right. I mean, technology is simply the vehicle for where the human heart is, right? I mean, it it's um the this relates to what human beings are going to care about and the, and the way that they want to move forward with their lives. And one of the biblical parallels that I can think of is the story from Genesis on the Tower of Babel, where, where I think some of our listeners are probably familiar with that story, where human beings decided to, to bond together and throw off the constraints of God, and they decided to make a tower into the heavens so that they can quote from that passage, uh, make a name for themselves. Basically, they're going to strive in the heavens against God for power and authority and for control of one's destiny. And in so doing, God comes and divides up the human beings in a redemptive sort of way by breaking them up according to their languages. Uh, and, And the reason why I say redemptive is God uh, says something to the effect of, at the end of, of that story, nothing will be impossible for them. Now, when you get into the Hebrew, it actually means no sin will be impossible for them, that that as you continue to strive against God in the heavens, and whatever vehicle you want to use, and in this case technology, you continue to invent ways that are going to be against uh, the way God has designed his kingdom. And, and one of the processes that I think we, you and I and, and our listeners can observe over all these years uh, is how the shocking does become normal. It just sort of becomes real. We get shocked by an idea. And then there's people in our lives that we actually meet that are walking within that idea. And it's sort of like, well, maybe this isn't so bad. And and the neighbors across the street and maybe this and maybe that. And then we forget. And uh, and without some sort of God, a, a redemptive move from God to disrupt the reality of that process, when human beings unchain themselves or untether themselves from God, they, no sin becomes impossible. Uh, and it's not even that people shake their fists in angry defiance and they're evil, awful people that are just destroying everybody all the time. It, it, it's sort of like this process of forgetting. Um, wh- when the Israelites were in Egypt, right, after several generations, Pharaoh knew that if he could wipe out the firstborn of, of the Israelites, that he could then wipe out the future of the Israelites, the, the carriers of the stories, the carriers of the way things are meant to be, give it a couple generations, everybody will forget what they are meant to be. And and the Israelites actually just assumed that was their lot in life, that they were slaves. They had completely forgotten 
who they were and whose they were. And so power becomes complete when you forget who you are. And uh, and so they are fully empowered to the to the slavery of Egypt until God disrupted. It, all of these kinds of things are exactly what's going on. Human beings, in, in a sexual sense, in the 1950s and 60s, decided to throw off the, the perceived constraints uh, of what can be a, a shalom or a beautiful or peaceful path moving forward to make a name for themselves in the heavens and their sexuality. And now we've seen uh, 50, 60, 70 years later uh, of no sin is impossible. Here we are where technology has become the medium and the vehicle for us to realize this lack of constraint that so many people wanted. All right. So uh, this forgetting, um, this does not just happen with with areas of morality. This actually happens culturally with a lot of things. And um, the Romans, here's a little factoid today. This is a a little science part of today's conversation. The Romans had this, uh, I mean, it's this recipe for concrete that, I mean, obviously it stands the test of time, right? The Romans actually forgot the recipe. that's That's why you move from their being able to build um, these incredible structures that have lasted thousands of years to to having nothing that lasted uh, just beyond, you know, one one sort of generational cycle. Well, why is that? Yeah. Well, do you know that it wasn't until like 2017 that it was rediscovered? That's that's unbelievable to me. <laughs> but but, you know, I'm always just mesmerized by that story in the Old Testament, Carmen, where they they rediscover the book of the law. Right. right. After Israel's been, right. You know, right. and it's like, where did you ever lose the book of the law? And several generations later, they're like, wow, this is an amazing text. And I just I mean, it happens all the time. Rediscovering the book of the law is an excellent example. We obviously as a nation need to rediscover not only yeah. the reality of who God is, but the veracity of scriptures. We need to recognize that this alone is the place where we can build our lives together. Jesus Christ is the firm foundation. I mean, we say it over and over and over again, but we have a desperate need for revival. And part of that is a, a huge part of that is a revival of the word of God. Because until we understand who God has said we are, we're going to continue to just make chaos um, in terms of family structure and kids and, and on and on and on. Um, all right, we don't have time to delve into this pastors and adultery survey, so I don't know. We're going to have to talk about that on another time. <laughs> well, and, I, I and, could and only deal is... with polyamorous, poly parenting today. I couldn't deal with pastors and adultery. I'm so sorry. No, no, that yeah, <sighs> that's way too much at this point. I mean, honestly, it just and the, the one thing that I think we can take heart with, Carmen, right, is that God has a pattern of moving redemptively always, and and. Uh, that as bad as things might get and as dark as things might get, there's always a dawn. There's always the redemptive dawn that God brings. And, and it's our job as believers to do the best we can to continue to shine that light in the world in the midst of the darkness. Amen. Amen. Peter Kapsner, thanks as always. We appreciate it, man. Yeah. yeah, great to be with you guys. You too. We'll be right back. All right, there's no question that after that last conversation, we need to uh, go and uh, unlock the Bible. We are going to have Colin Smith with us next. He's got a new book, Open the Bible in 30 Days, and we're going to talk about it right here. You can find him at unlockingthebible.org. We'll be right back. All right, you got a couple of days left to join us in the extended online access pass at NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com. Um, if you missed the 2020 conference, the Writers Conference, um, you can still actually 
jump in. It's a two-day event, and so you still have two days that you could do this. You go to NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com. There's video recordings of the keynote addresses, the pro advice panels, um, all of the breakout sessions. You can view them at your own pace. It's a great opportunity to get this content before, um, well, frankly, before it disappears. It's not going to disappear, disappear, but it's not going to be available online anymore. So there you go. Uh, join us, NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com. A couple of days left to do that. We'll be right back. This is Max Lakato. Dean Lund and I have been married over 35 years. We no longer converse. We communicate in code. She walks into the kitchen while I'm making a sandwich. Dean Lund? No, I don't want one, she says. I'll open the refrigerator and stare for a few moments. Dean Lund? She'll answer, mayo on the top shelf, pickles on the door. She knows me better than anyone. She is the authority on Max. How much more does Jesus know God? And when Jesus says... You are worth more than many sparrows. You can trust him. He knows the value of every creature. When Jesus says, in my Father's house are many mansions, count on it. He knows. He has walked them. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. And when Jesus speaks about God, he is the ultimate authority. Trust him. This is Max Lucado. Joining me now, Pastor Colin Smith. You know him from Unlocking the Bible, which comes on every day right after this program. Um, And you also know him from our Open the Bible initiative that we have been engaged in. We're here to talk about uh, the Open the Bible book. It's a 30-day adventure um, into Scripture. So, Colin, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hi there. It's great to be with you again. Thank you. It's wonderful to have you. So I like the way that you have... Um, taken this content that people have access to at OpenTheBible.org. You guys have condensed it down into what I'll describe as like a 30-day romp uh, through Scripture. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to come to know God the Father, trust God the Son, and then live in the Holy Spirit. Talk with us about, um, about this very invitational uh, book. Well, it's a very simple introduction to the Bible. I think a lot of folks um, know one or two stories from the Bible, but don't have uh, much of a sense of uh, what the Bible itself as a story is all about. And there really is one storyline that runs through the entire Bible. I I like to say it begins in a garden, it ends in a city, and all the way through it's about Jesus Christ. And so what uh, Open the Bible in 30 Days does is it follows the Bible storyline, really in three parts. We, we, we often think about, you know, the, the, there's the Old Testament, the New Testament. Really, there's three parts uh, to the Bible. There's the Old Testament where we get to know God the Father. There are the Gospels where we get to know God the Son. And there's the Acts and the New Testament letters that are really about life in the Holy Spirit. And so it's an introduction that helps us to know who God is and to follow the Bible story from beginning to end. All right, and this is a um, this is an ebook. Do I have that right? Uh, it's a physical book as well as oh. an ebook. Yes, oh, there it's you published go. by right. Moody, and it's just out um, uh, a couple of weeks. All right, so you can get it as an ebook. You can get it as a physical book. 
open the Bible in 30 days. I um, I love the, uh, obviously, I have the ebook. Um, and so uh, I love the journey, the travel, the journey, uh, the discovery motif. I like that you explore like geography and landscape. I don't think that we often think about um, exploring scripture or engaging in scripture in this way. We think of it as this like old dusty tome um, and probably full mostly of bad uh, of things that are going to make me feel bad about myself. That is not at all what this experience is like. You are really inviting us to engage in a 30 day journey um, through scripture where we get, you know, we get like a Google Maps uh, in-depth experience and we get to meet the people. Yes, uh, the thing that was really helpful to me, Carmen, was to 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 see that you can picture the Bible story as being like a series of mountains and valleys, and uh, once you get that picture, it uh, the storyline begins to flow. So, for example, in the Old Testament, you you obviously start with a marvelous mountaintop of God creating, and then of course you go straight into a valley in which human sin brings curse into the world. And then you get mountaintops that keep coming after that. I mean, God's great intervention with um, uh, Abraham and the promise that blessing will come to people uh, from all nations. And the story is going to follow. How's that blessing going to come? Then you have another mountaintop with Moses and another one with David and so forth and so on. And between each of the mountaintops, there's a valley Uh, 400 years, God's people are slaves in Egypt. You know, 300 years, they're in chaos in the period of the judges. So that simple visual carries throughout the book and gives a sense, I think, of a journey that we're actually exploring uh, mountaintops of um, God's disclosure or revelation of himself and some pretty intense valleys of, of human suffering and of darkness um, but that's the Bible. <clears throat> that's the Bible story. It's God speaking into our world as it is, and all the way through, it's about Jesus Christ, right from beginning to end. So my husband would call this uh, this approach like a narrative arc, because what you are doing is you're taking us into the uh, the rhythm of the rise and the fall, um, the ri- this uh, narrative rhythm that happens where there's. You know, there's a rising tension and then there's this pinnacle experience. And then, you know, on the other side of that, again, there is another valley. Um, And all of Scripture then also creates this redemptive narrative arc. So talk about sort of the the entirety of uh, of the redemptive narrative. Um, You know, the Bible is this comprehensive one story, as you put it. Well, um, Jesus himself makes that very, very clear. And uh, most famously, of course, on the road to Emmaus, where after the resurrection, he's talking to two disciples and he opens up in the scriptures the things that relate to himself. So that's referring to the Old Testament scriptures. And clearly Jesus took them on a journey through the Old Testament that uh, pointed out how it was all um, essentially about him. And uh, Jesus said uh, the same to uh, the Pharisees, you know, the Uh, uh, You search the scriptures diligently, he said, but these are the scriptures that speak about me, and yet you won't come to me. So uh, it's very clear from the words of Jesus that the way that we're to read the whole Bible from beginning to end is that it is all about him. And if we see him in scripture, then we see its central purpose. And if we miss him, then we may have learned some interesting stories or some interesting moral principles, but we've missed the essential piece that it's all about. The Bible is the story 
of how this is God's world. He's the creator and therefore the owner. It's a world in rebellion against him. And he has committed himself to redeem the world, to make a people for himself and to save them. And he does this in and through Jesus Christ. And the drama of that story from beginning to end is very, very wonderful. Colin, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, um, let's talk about how people have responded to the OpenTheBible.org effort and initiative. And then um, what's your early feedback on the Open the Bible in 30 days? Sort of what's what's the—I'm going to ask you to to kind of tell people maybe which order to go in. And I suspect that the 30 days comes before— um, the unlockingthebible.org approach. But I'd love for you to just help us, if we've never studied the Bible for in any intentional way, um, when we come back from the, from the break, will you just help us get started? Sure. I love that. All right, I'm talking with Pastor Colin Smith from Unlocking the Bible. We're talking today about Open the Bible in 30 Days. It's the book edition of what you will then also find in extended form at openthebible.org. We'll be right back. The word was, and the word Continuing my conversation with Pastor Colin Smith, we are talking about a resource now available, Open the Bible in 30 Days. And actually, here at Faith Radio, we're giving away five copies of the book each week this month. But don't text me. This time, you have to go to MyFaithRadio.com to enter to win one of the five copies of Open the Bible in 30 Days that we're giving away each week this month. So go to MyFaithRadio.com. If you are interested in a complimentary copy of Open the Bible in 30 Days, this is a part of our larger um, Open the Bible um, uh, initiative and effort. It's a part of the OpenTheBible.org um, invitation for you to engage in the scriptures. Pastor Smith, um, talk with us about if a person has never, like they've just found the Bible intimidating, they listen, uh, you know, to Christian radio but they have not ever sat down and actually engaged in the study of Scripture um, for themselves. Make that appeal. Oh, well, that's exactly what uh, we want to uh, encourage people to do. Um, and what what we're trying to do through uh, the Ministry of Unlocking the Bible is give um, different um, ways of doing this that will um, uh, fit different levels of interest and, and timescale that's available for, uh, for doing it. You know, one size doesn't fit all. And uh, uh, the way that um, uh, I've thought about this is if you go to a, a national uh, park, um, you could take a drive around it or you could uh, take a hike through it. Now, which is better? Well, you know, uh, it, it, that's an unanswerable question. Some will be drawn to the hike, some will be drawn to the drive. Um, the uh, OpenTheBible.org that many folks from Faith Radio are engaged in is like a hike. It really gets close to some of the big themes of the Bible story. Uh, this book that we're talking about today that's just come out, Open the Bible in 30 Days, that's a little bit like the drive. It's going to take you through the same terrain. It's going to do it more quickly. It's going to do it more easily. And whether you want to drive or whether you want to um, uh, uh, hike, um, the, uh, 
The Bible is the most marvelous journey, and you want to get in there and explore it because you're going to discover the truth about Jesus, which is going to be life changing for you. So um, can I ask a question about, um, you know, the neighborhood where you uh, where you serve? Um, I think you are in the greater Chicagoland area. Am I right? That's right. In terms of your geography. Give us a little. Yeah. So give us a little sense. I mean, you know, obviously we all see the headlines. We um, we were a little you know, we were frankly a little little afraid of what we saw going on. Um, in yes. downtown Chicago. Just talk with us about, you know, how things are feeling and how you guys are engaging there in your local community. Yes, you know, it's um, it's very different depending on where uh, in uh, the greater Chicago area um, uh, uh, one is. And I think that that's true of any city and of its suburbs. The Orchard, the um, uh, church that I'm privileged to pastor, has Um, six campuses and a seventh just opening, and one is right in the city of Chicago. So our people have quite different uh, experiences. Um, You're asking particularly a question about um, Chicago. Um, And so from the perspective of the Chicago campus, our uh, folks there are doing a marvelous work. Uh, A lot of work that is uh, being done has included um, distribution of uh, meals to folks who are in really difficult um, situations economically at the moment. There have been prayer walks. Um, There have been lots of conversations. Times of difficulty always are times of opportunity uh, for Christian believers and for the Christian church. And uh, we feel anxiety in these times for very, very good reasons. But... um, You know, at a time where people are raising problems, Christian believers have been given the one who really is the answer uh, and the one in whom uh, light and hope can be found. I was speaking last Sunday, uh, Carmen, about the words of Jesus. I am the light of the world. We need light. We need hope. We need the peace and the help that can be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think this is a great day. Uh, for Christian believers to be able to shine the light of the Lord Jesus Christ into a world where it's desperately needed. And to resist the temptation to put it under a bushel basket um, yeah. or obs- or obscure it in any way. Um, Colin, I think one of the one of the temptations that we all actively live with is um, to be a private Christian um, yes. to to acknowledge that Jesus is the light of my life, that he is the hope of my salvation, but I can just keep that to myself. That is not what living in the Spirit looks like. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's why Jesus says, I am the light of the world, not just I am a light to you, which of course is true. But um, uh, when we come into the light of Christ, um, uh, we ourselves, therefore, are able to become light bearers uh, in the world. And, and the New Testament follows that uh, analogy through. But here's the thing. If we're going to bear witness to the truth about Jesus, we have to have a good working knowledge of the truth about Jesus settled in our minds and our hearts. And that's why Peter says, you know, you've always got to be ready to give an answer for the hope, uh, the reason for the hope that is um, within you. Um, So first, there's got to be hope in us. And then we've got to be able to explain why there's hope in us. And the reason there's hope in us is because of Jesus and the truth of what he's done for us and what he's able to do for any person who comes to him. And so that really brings us back to um, uh, the, the importance 
in this time of Christians um, uh, engaging uh, with the scripture and then bringing other people to engage in the scripture. What we're challenging our folks to do at the moment, um, uh, Carmen, is, is just this question. Who in your life needs to know the God of the Bible and might be open to open the Bible with you if you ask them? And uh, what we're doing in OpenTheBible.org and what we're doing in this 30-day book is really providing resources for Christian believers, not only to develop our knowledge of the truth ourselves, but also to introduce the truth to other people who desperately need to receive it. And I think we're living in days and our people are, uh, I'm hearing many stories uh, of people that are, are reflecting the reality that folks don't know the truth of the Bible now, and many are more open to discover it than some of us may think. Can I tell you a very brief story that you may not have yet heard? Okay, so there's a woman uh, whose name is Regina Shelton, and she, uh, a believer in Jesus, um, lover, uh, lover of him, lived in Oakland, California, happened to live uh, one story below a seven-year-old girl whose parents had gone through a divorce named Kamala Harris. And um, Regina um, became Kamala's really, you know, second mom. That became her second home. It's where she would go after school every day. Um, and, And every Sunday, Regina and her husband, Arthur, would load up Kamala, her little sister, Maya, and other kids from the neighborhood whose parents weren't taking them to church. And she took them to church. And Kamala talks about sitting next to Mrs. Shelton in church, where she would have her Bible open in her lap. She says this, Miss Shelton would bring her Bible to church every Sunday, and sitting alongside her, I was introduced to the teachings of that Bible. Now, I'm not here to say that, you know, Kamala Harris is necessarily living by everything that she saw in the Word, but that, what you are describing right now, that there are kids in our neighborhoods who are not, who do not know the Bible. It has never been opened to them. We need to lay it open in our laps, and we need to be in close enough proximity to those kids that they might see what's in there and come to know the God who is. Well, uh, and thank you for that. That's wonderful. And thank you for uh, saying that, um, uh, Carmen. Uh, And and just in terms of the book that we're talking about here, uh, because we've had the chance to use this material before it went out more publicly uh, in our own church life, where we've used this book has been with middle school students. That's not the only place we've used it, but we've used it with middle school students. And those who've been teaching this material um, to middle school students have found that they have um, been able to embrace and grasp it really, really well. So this is not some heavy tome. This is something that parents can use with their kids at home. This is something you could use with your neighbor's kids to take up the analogy, the story, the wonderful story that you have just uh, told there, uh, Carmen. It's, It's accessible. It's simple. We want people to get into the Bible discover who God is and come to living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I really hope and pray that Open the Bible in 30 Days will help many people, young and old, to do that. Colin Smith, thank you as always for helping us to unlock the Bible. Thank you for helping us open the Bible in 30 days. The resource is available. You guys were given away copies. You just need to go to MyFaithRadio.com and sign up uh, for the giveaway, enter to win. Um, Colin, thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for joining us today and blessings upon your ministry. Uh, It's a real pleasure. God bless you too. Thank you. It's a joy. It's a joy. We'll be right back. 
All right, really fun day here. Love to visit with you online. You know you can catch the podcast later and share it with others at MyFaithRadio.com. I've got a new blog posted at ReconnectWithCarmen.com if you want to check that out. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.